sermon series called Overcoming, and we're going to talk about overcoming temptation. And as we do that, we're going to read from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And what I want you to pay attention here is, is as we go throughout Lent, maybe you're trying to do a Bible reading plan, and you think, you know, it's, it's hard to continue, it's hard to get in God's word every single day, but when we see Satan tempting Jesus, Jesus responds every time, every time with the word of God. That is Jesus' defense against the temptation, and so that needs to be a reminder of us as we're trying to work on our spiritual practices and our disciplines in the Lenten season that that word of God is a foundation for us, and so may that be a reminder as we dive into it together with Luke 4, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned from the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward Jesus was starving. The devil said to him, Since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread. Next, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple, and he said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. And Jesus answered, It's been said, Don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Well, good morning, church. So my name is Tim Power. I'm a pastor of Modern Worship here, and I just want to welcome you and thank you for being here to worship with us. One thing uh, that, that was striking to me about this passage of Scripture of Jesus being led into the wilderness, it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, Isn't that strange? We think about the Spirit leading us into good things and blessings and things like that. I don't want to always think about the Spirit of God leading me into the wilderness. It's kind of a strange thought that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Does anybody here feel like they've gone through a wilderness time recently? Kind of like you're you're just kind of out there on your own, alone, and and you're you're just you're 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 just you don't know what to make of it. Do you know sometimes those are the times that God can really speak to us and make big things happen in our lives? I heard a really cool quote uh, this week. It was basically, it was, it was uh, Dr. Mark Batterson, and he said, don't be so eager to get out of the season you're in that you don't get anything out of it. I thought that was pretty profound. Don't be so eager to get, out of the, to, to get out of the season you're in that you don't get anything out of it. Even in those wilderness times, we can really learn a lot. And we're going to learn a little bit about what Jesus went through in the wilderness. And we're going to learn, hopefully, a little bit about this thing called temptation. Now, Jesus is out there in the wilderness, and uh, he, one of the verses I think is so funny, uh, verse 2 says that he hadn't eaten for 40 days and he was hungry. Isn't that obvious? Like the most obvious Bible verse ever. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days and he's hungry. Um, We're finding Jesus at a time where he is primed 
for making bad choices. Let me explain that. Uh, I went to a counselor once, and he told me about this uh, principle called HALT, H-A-L-T. Have you ever heard that before? Here's the idea. HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Did you know that you are at your worst when you are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? And that's usually when we tend to make the worst decisions in life. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And as verse 2 tells us, Jesus was hungry. Now, I'll tell you, if I hadn't eaten for 40 days, I would also be angry. (laughs) I'd be hangry. Because, because that's what happens sometimes when, when, you, when you get really hungry, you get really angry. I used to have lunch with a friend of mine uh, every couple of weeks. And uh, one time he said, you know, Tim, I never see you angry. I said, yeah, because every time you see me, I'm eating French fries. <laughs> you can't be really angry while you're eating French fries. So, so I, I'm thinking that even though the text doesn't necessarily say it, Jesus might have been hungry, he might have been angry. Um, and he also... He's lonely. He's out there in the wilderness alone, and he's probably very tired because he's just been wandering, not eating for 40 days. Jesus uh, matches all of these uh, examples of halt that, that kind of put him at his worst, and a lot of the time, that's where we find that the devil tries to get us, is when we're at our hungriest, our angriest, our loneliest, our most tired. I want to just say a, a, for, for real quick about a, a little bit about the devil. Um, so I know we're in 2019, and it might seem like an antiquated idea, this idea of the devil. And so some people have trouble believing that the devil actually exists. So, so are you saying that there's this guy with red skin, and he's got horns and hooves? Well, you know, we, we, we tend to get a lot of our imagery from a lot of Renaissance art. Uh, I mostly get my imagery from the devil from Simpsons episodes, um, but, but that's not really what we know about the devil. Like, the, the Bible doesn't really describe the devil all that much. But what we do know is that the Bible tells us that we have an enemy, that we have an enemy that entices us towards sin, that we have some supernatural force that is trying to draw us towards the things that we're not supposed to be doing. So, so don't get caught up so much in what the devil looks like. Just know that you do have an enemy that is trying to pull you into behavior patterns that are not good for you. They're not God's best for you. And that is what we call the enemy. It says in the Bible that the enemy comes to kill Uh, and destroy us. That is the purpose of the devil. So we've got to be on our guard. Um, You know, um, if if, if football teams, a lot of times, what they'll do is they'll watch tape, okay? And what watching tape means is that you take some time and actually look at how the other team plays. You can learn. I'm I'm, I'm bad at sports examples. Am I right about that, Sean? Okay. So so a sports team will do that so that they can, they can know what the other team is doing. So, so this is us kind of watching tape on the devil, okay? This is us watching tape because we know that the devil watches tape on us. We know that the devil tries to get us when we are at our most weak. And we're seeing that with Jesus here. And so we can probably learn a couple of lessons from this passage of Scripture. Um, now, he's, the devil's enticing 
us towards sin. That's what the devil does. Now, I want to talk about this word sin because I heard a great definition of sin that I think is really good. Uh, because sin is something people get uncomfortable talking about. Uh, especially people think, well, Christians just talk about sin all the time. You're just really, like, Christians are really hypocritical and judgmental. All you want to do is talk about sin. But sin is very real and very damaging to our lives. Sin is what separates us from God. Now, I heard the, the best definition I've heard for a long time of sin is this. It is filling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Fulfilling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. So think, think about something like food. We all have, have a need to eat, right? Um, and so, so you can fulfill that need in healthy ways, or you can fulfill that, way, that need by having 10 of those donuts out there that had St. Patty's Day icing on them. That would be a bad way, okay? That would be that gluttonous thing of, so we could fulfill legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Um, another way to think about it is, is like intimacy. So God created us with a need for intimacy, and we could, we could fulfill that in a legitimate way with, within the bounds of a committed uh, marriage relationship that is covenantal, or we could fill it outside of that, and that's when people find themselves sexually broken, is when, when they try to fill a legitimate need, but they do it in an illegitimate way. And so, so th this, is, this is interesting. In James 1... Verse 14, it says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Now, this word enticed is a really interesting word. It, it's, um, it, it, it's actually kind of more of a hunting and fishing terminology. Um, in, in, in the context, it's like being captured or being hooked. And I brought, I brought some visuals here. I am dangerous with a fishing pole, by the way, so stay back. Um, <laughs> I went fishing with my friend Caleb once, and he gave me his nicest lure, and he was dumb enough to let me put it on the hook, and I, I did my first cast, and his lure went 30 feet out and went <laughs> to the bottom of the lake. So I'm, I'm pretty bad at fishing, but this is just an example. So what the devil tries to do to us is he tries, like, who here thinks that this hook looks really enticing? Anybody? No, hooks don't look enticing, and so that's what the devil does. Now, I tried to get um, gummy worms, but all I could find was gummy fish. So, that's what the devil does, is he hides the hook. He hides the consequence of sin inside something that looks a whole lot better. And then holds it out in front of us, but sometimes we can say no to that. We can say no to the gummy worm or gummy fish. And so Satan finds other things. He's always trying to get something else on the hook. I just got this out of the offering plate. <laughs> so then he holds something else in front of us and tries to entice us to get us on the hook, but you know what? Even that is, is, is kind of weak, because you know what? In 2019, we don't just have one thing in front of us all the time. We don't just have one thing in our face. So I brought another thing that is a little bit more, I got this from my kiddos. This is a little bit more like what it is to have temptation in 2019. Let me see if I can put this on. Because it's like having temptation 
all around you. You have constantly things in every single direction trying to get your attention. One thing after the other. I'm, gonna t- I'm hurting myself here. But that sin in our day and age, we're just constantly bar- bombarded by different things. So what do we do? Can we hide from it? Can we all just run away? We'll, we'll start a commune up in the hills or something like that where no temptation is allowed? Well, the Bible actually tells us this. It tells us that we can resist temptation. It says, resist evil, and the evil one will flee from you. So what I want to do is I'm going to give some real practical tools that I think are very, very helpful. I'm going to give five R's to resisting temptation. Five R's to resisting temptation. And I wish I was smart enough to have come up with these all on my own, but I actually got these from a pastor named Adam Hamilton. And I find that these are just really helpful. And you might say, well, those are really simple. Those are a little bit trite. But, you know, so much of finding success in this and having good integrity is just making the same small, simple decisions over and over again. A thousand good decisions over and over again. So the five R's to resisting temptation are these. The first one is remember who you are. You are a child of God, a follower of Jesus. You are someone's husband or wife. You are someone's son or daughter. You are someone's mommy or daddy. Um... I try to do this in, in the morning sometimes. There's a prayer that I got from another pastor, and uh, I, I find it really helpful to start my day by praying this. God, help me to be the man you want me to be and help me to be the man my family believes me to be. The f- man my family believes me to be. I like that because it's, it's, it's about that it, protecting yourself from that duplicity that is part of sin, that, that being someone to you and being someone different to someone else God, help me be the man you want me to be and help me be the man my family believes me to be. My kids at, at bedtime every night, I say the same thing to them when we pray uh, and, and they, they repeat part of it back to me. So I basically say, you're a man of God made in God's image. And uh, my son Max the other day was saying, what, why, do you, why do you say that every night? And I say, because I want you to remember who you are. So the first are to resisting temptation is remember who you are. The second is this, recognize the consequences, the consequences of your actions. Ask these questions if you're tempted. Will I feel better or worse if I do this? Will I feel more enslaved by this action or more free? Who will be hurt by what I'm about to do? Will I want my family to know about it? Will I want my church to know about it? You know, a lot of the times, it's easy for us to fantasize about uh, sin and the pleasures of sin. One thing we don't often do is fantasize about the consequences. And I think that sometimes that's a really helpful thing to do, fantasize about what is the worst possible outcome that this sin could result in. How does this end happy? The third R is rededicate yourself to God. Now, what do they say if your clothes catch on fire? I've never had that happen. Has anybody had that happen? What do they say you're supposed to do, though? Stop, drop, and roll. This rededicate yourself to God is is like the stop, drop, and roll. It's stop, drop, and pray. 
stop, drop, and pray in the middle of a temptation and say, God, I need you. I need to give myself back to you because I can't get through this temptation alone. Stop, drop, and pray. Rededicate yourself to God. And by the way, we're going to put these on our website too, so you can, you can find these. And if you want to, you know, just have them, these are a great thing to have printed out and just put somewhere so that as you're just going through your week, something you can look at again and just, and just try to follow up on some of this. Okay. So we had, remember who you are, recognize the consequences of your actions. The third was rededicate yourself to God the fourth is this, reveal your struggle to someone you trust. Reveal your struggle to someone you trust. The power of temptation a lot of times is in the secrecy. In the secrecy because it's so much easier when, it, when, when it's hidden. But I think that if you can get that temptation out, name it to someone, it loses a lot of its power. And not only that, but, but when we're able to do this, whether it's a trusted friend or whether it's, it's, it's a counselor, someone you can reveal your struggle with, you're also setting something else up. You're setting up accountability, which is huge. Accountability is really huge, and that means that you'll have someone that you can talk to about your struggle, somebody you can actually say, that, that can say to you, how are you doing with it? I know that was a struggle. Or, or, how, how, you know, follow up with you. Be that person to hold you accountable. And the fifth one is this. And maybe this is one of the most important ones. Remove yourself from the situation. Remove yourself from the situation. You know, in the, in, um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about if your eye causes you to sin, what? Keep looking? It says to gouge it out. Now, now um, it says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, you, you might say, well, he was using hyperbole, but he's making a really important point that whatever causes you to sin needs to be away from you. You need to get away as quickly as possible. I had a friend um, who recently, uh, he, he's married, has, has two beautiful children, and he found himself in a situation at work where he was talking to a coworker, a female coworker, and he found himself being drawn more and more to this female coworker. And um, he felt like he, he was starting to have some inappropriate emotional attachments to this person. Now, he, he, had never he hadn't fallen into infidelity or anything like that, but he just he felt like it was moving in that direction. Um, she confessed to him that she had feelings for him. The first thing he did when she did this is he called his wife and he told her right away. And the second thing sounds, is going to sound crazy to some people. He quit his job. He literally quit his job. He said, I would rather leave this career behind. And it was a job he had been working towards a long time. He said, I would rather lose my career than lose my wife, than lose my kids. He had to remove himself from that situation. I heard, I heard this um, quote recently, um, and I, it, it really, I think, is, is powerful uh, at demonstrating what temptation does and, and what giving into sin does. It's when you give into temptation, you're feeding something that deserves to be starved, and you're starving something that deserves to be fed. What deserves to be fed is your relationship with God. You know, in the Greek, when it talks about um, sin, uh, the Greek word for sin is, is basically like missing the mark. 
And I used to think that that meant uh, just, just not hitting the bullseye. Like you tried to hit the bullseye, but it just went a little off. But the more I thought about it, it's actually not just missing the mark, it's actually pointing at a different bullseye. It's pointing at something else. It's getting your eyes off from what it should be focused, focused on. When you give into temptation, you're starving, you're feeding something that deserves to be starved, and you're starving something that deserves to be fed. You know, sometimes the greatest thing we can do to resist temptation is just to surrender. Not to the temptation, but to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage. But I know that probably many people in this room, myself included, struggle with temptations all the time. And so what I want to do is just have a moment where we can pray together. And we could just pray a prayer of surrender. A prayer of asking God, this is our stop, drop, and pray moment. God, help me to resist. Help me to stand firm against these things because I want you more than I want that. I want to be in relationship with you, and if that's going to break my relationship with you by making this choice that will harm me, then I want nothing to do with it. So let's pray together right now. Lord God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you set us free from sin. You set us free from death. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to resist the schemes of the enemy, that you would help us to resist sin, that you would help us to overcome temptation, not by our own strength, because we know we can't do it on our own. But Lord God, we ask that you would just equip us, Lord God. Help us. Help us, Lord God. Help us to resist and help us to overcome by the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.